Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. God is good, amen? Hallelujah. I was telling the early service, I was so eager to preach, I could have preached at 6.30 this morning. So, so excited for what God wants to do in his house. Amen. So I'm preaching part two of the Ask Me series. And so you're going to open up your ears and listen for your questions in the midst of the body of the message. Because I'm not going to go question by question. I'm going to do it within the storyline of what I'm sharing. Let's open up your ears. Perk up your ears so you can catch your questions. I'm going to be dealing with the series of questions that have to do with the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about the second coming of Christ. So really, I should have greeted you this morning by saying, we'll get in there. We'll get better. Let's try it again. I greet you with what? Maranatha. Christ is coming. Hallelujah. Christ is coming. And so Pastor Chris dealt with the series of, of questions that came in about the second coming and end times. And I'm so grateful that Jesus is coming. Are we not? And so what I'm going to be doing now is I'm going to be taking us through a different series. Because it's as equally as important as for us to understand that Jesus is truly coming. Right. We need to understand who we're, what we're to be doing and what we're to look like when Jesus comes. How many know we're not riding this Christian gravy train until Jesus comes? We're not on a train until he comes. We got a job to do. And we got a way we're supposed to look. And so Jesus gives us a clear description of that. Open up your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Hallelujah. And in this story, I just want to give you a little bit. This is a typical day in the life of Jesus. Jesus shows up in a town, and Jesus has shown up. And because Jesus has shown up, hundreds of people have shown up. They've come to hear Jesus teach. They've come to see him perform miracles. And so this town now is a buzz because Jesus is present. They've all come up. People are coming out from every direction to be healed, to hear his word, to hear what he's doing. So Jesus now has caused a ruckus in this town, as he does everywhere that he went. And then our story unfolds in Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 10. Now, as he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over, and it could no way raise herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her to him and said to him, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her back, and immediately she was made straight and glorified the Lord. But the rulers of the synagogue answered with indignancy because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he, they said to the crowd, there are six days in which man ought to work. Therefore, how could they could be healed on any one of those days and not on the Sabbath? The Lord answered to him and said, hypocrite, do not each one of you on the Sabbath loose your oxen and your donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman... Born a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from her bondage on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done that day. It's a great story. But I want you for a minute to picture this story for me. Here is this woman for 18 years. 18 years. 
that is bound with the spirit of infirmity. And her infirmity is that she is bent over. So for 18 years, this woman lives like this. This is how she walks. This is how she lives. She can never, the Bible says, she in no way can straighten herself up. She cannot force her body up. 18 years, she walks bent over. She eats this way. She cooks this way. She bathes this way. She sleeps this way. She goes shopping this way. She walks through town bent over. Can you imagine her life with people pointing at the woman that's bent over? That can no way straighten herself up. This is her life. This is it. This is her view for 18 years. She can't see past it. This is it. And as anybody knows that's lived with any type of chronic sickness for a long period of time, you know what you do? You just simply adjust your life. Is that not true? That becomes, this is no longer an infirmity. This is no longer something weird. This is now your normal. It's your life. This is now what you know. There's nothing strange anymore. You have figured out how to get dressed this way. You figured out how to cook this way. You figured out how to eat this way. You figured out how to sleep this way. Because you have to live. So this is now her life. And she lives it every day. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. It's as simple as that. And so one day she's going to town. We don't really know why, but she's going to town. But this particular day is different. Because Jesus is in town. Come on. Jesus is in town. And she had to know that Jesus was in town. You know why? Because there was a ruckus. There were hundreds of people gathered in her town. So she had to know that he was there. But you know what, church? Just because it was a different day in her town, it wasn't a different day for her. The fact that Jesus was present didn't mean anything. You know how we know that? She walked by Jesus. He called to her. She didn't call to him. See, this isn't like the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood, man, she was getting to Jesus. She heard he's coming to town. She got up. She got dressed. She didn't care who was going to shame her. She didn't care. She pushed through every person. And when she couldn't get there, she dropped to her knees, crawled her way through. She was getting to Jesus. Jesus didn't have to find her. She found him. This woman is walking. And Jesus calls to her. So you know what that tells me? That the condition of her body had become the condition of her heart. That this was no longer a physical ailment. It was now an accepted, an accepted status. This is my life. Nothing's going to change. And the fact that Jesus was there really didn't make a difference. So she kept walking. And the Bible says Jesus calls her to him. He said, come. Aren't you glad Jesus calls us? Amen. And he calls her, and he says, woman, thou art loose. And he lays his hands on her, and the Bible says instantly she was healed, and she stood up, upright, and began glorifying God. Completely and totally healed. Unbelievable story. 
powerful story. But I'm going to tell you something today. This woman is a real woman. But this woman, for us, is a picture of how many believers walk around. It's also a picture of how the Church of America walks around. The Church of America and many believers walk bent over. And you say, what are you talking about? There's nobody physically walking bent over. Maybe not. But this woman had accepted her life with this view. And there's plenty of people in the church that have accepted living so far beneath what God has for us. The Church of America has accepted living so far beneath what God has for us. You see, we've accepted going to church as being the church. We've accepted doing nice things and being good people as being world changers. We've accepted just looking good and knowing a couple of things about God and waiting until Jesus comes to be the church. But we're not. You see, Jesus describes the church that he's coming back for. And that church is a glorious church. That church is glorious, victorious, spirit-filled, power-driven, miracle-running, Satan-stopping church. He's coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a church that is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And sadly, that's not what we look like. We look bent over. We look bent over. The church Jesus describes is a church that's firing on all cylinders. 100% in everything. But we have accepted 40%. Maybe 30. Some of us maybe 60, depending on where you are. But can I tell you what 30, 40, and 50% really is? The book of Revelation talks about it. It's called lukewarm. Hello? It's called lukewarm. And Jesus made it very clear what he was going to do with lukewarm. He's going to spit it out of his mouth. He's not accepting us at 50%, 30%, 20%. He said, I want all in. I want 100%. He's not coming for a church that's lukewarm. He's coming for a church that's sizzling hot, on fire for him. That's what he's coming back for. He's coming for a church that's firing on all cylinders. Filled with his power, filled with his glory, doing the work of the kingdom. That's what he's coming back for. And church, you shouldn't settle for any less. Why would you settle for 30%? Why? Why wouldn't you grab hold of everything God has for you? Why wouldn't you? He died to give you all things. Why wouldn't you take all things? Why won't you live at 100%? Why won't you strive to live at 100%? But we as the church have gotten real comfortable right here. And it feels good. And it doesn't require too much. Can I tell you God's getting ready to shake all that up? If you think 
that a shaking is not coming, you are so sorely deceived this morning. He's not going to allow us to stay comfortable. He's going to shake the ground. He's going to begin to shake the ground. And the Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. See, the early church understood who they were. And they lived there. The early church understood who they were supposed to be and what they were supposed to do. They were clear. That church was marked with the power of the Holy Spirit. And somehow we think that that was for them. They started this off, and now we're just going to ride this out until Jesus comes. Can I tell you what my Bible says? It says the reign of the latter day is greater than the reign of the former day. So what that means is this church today should be more filled with power, should be more filled with the work of the Spirit, should be more filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit than the church in the olden days. This church that we sit in today. You know why? Because we are closer to the second coming than they were. Did you catch that? We are closer to the second coming than they are. They were. And so this church that we sit in now should be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit greater than anything that was in the early church. So what's changed? How are we missing the mark? Do we admit that we're missing the mark? So how do we change? What has changed? A couple of things have changed. Clear things. One clear thing that I want to bring up is we keep trying to find a new way to do church. We keep trying to find a new way to do church. Now listen, I'm all about being creative and being innovative and trying new styles and new things. It's great. We serve a creative God. I look at this room full of beautiful people. I know God is creative. I look at this world. It's gorgeous. God has done a great work. He is a creative God. But we got to be real careful when we're trying to find new things that we don't guard the old things. The new things are not a replacement for the old things. There is no replacement for the move of the Holy Spirit. There is no replacement for altar. There is no replacement for the word of God. There's no replacement for these things. I don't care how creative we are. We have to guard the things that made the church the church. We have to guard them. And then be as creative as you want. But guard these things. See, the Holy Spirit is irreplaceable in the church. We're a Pentecostal church, if you didn't know. And we believe in the move and the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the miraculous. We believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in prophecy. We believe in discernment of spirits. We believe that someone could walk in here sick and be healed in the power of the Holy Spirit. I saw my first miracle when I was eight. I saw a limb grow. It has messed me up for the rest of my life. Because I expect him to do it every time. And you know what? We can expect him to do it every time. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is irreplaceable in the church. That is our marker. That is our distinctive. 
And so we have to be very careful when we start getting creative and start doing all these things. Because at the end of the day, if there is no power in the house, it doesn't matter how pretty it is. It doesn't matter. We're just a pretty shell with no potency. And you know what we become? Useless. We have nothing to offer. Our offering is in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not in our pretty buildings. It's not in our nice creative ideas. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit. You better have some potency in your life and in your church. Some of my favorite places to go eat are a mess. There are holes in the wall. Anyone here like holes in the walls? There are holes in the wall. But you know what? There's a place in the city that I go to for the best falafels in town. Let me tell you what a horrible experience it is to go there. You can't park anywhere. Someone has to run in while the other person's driving around. You barely fit in the door because it's so small. You pray that the guy behind the counter, hopefully he's bathed in the last week because he doesn't look like he has. Huh? So good. And you take your sandwiches and you run out. There's not even a napkin or a table. And you get in the car and you find some street that you're not going to get a ticket on. And you, eat, and you know what you do? You go every time. Why? Because the food is slamming. Because the food is slamming. So you put up with all of that for that. You don't care what it looks like. Family, in a simple way, that's us. We can have all the pretty things, but if our product in our house is not slamming, we got nothing. We got nothing. And what we have is the power and the move of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. And we have to stick right there and not move. And so I want to look at some distinctives that were present in the early church that we've lost sight of that we need to grab hold of again as a church. Amen? The first thing is the early church understood the role of the Holy Spirit. They understood that they weren't the boss he was. Hello? And they understood that if they wanted the Holy Spirit to move, they had to make room for him. They had to make room. We're in such a hurry all the time in church, in our personal lives, we're in such a hurry that God can't even get a hold of us. We got to slow down. And we got to make room for the Holy Spirit to move. You know, the early church didn't spend a lot of time teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know what they did? They just made room. Someone would be teaching, and all of a sudden someone's speaking in tongues. They'd be teaching, people were getting healed. Why? Because they just simply made room. If we would make room, we would have to spend hours teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We would be teaching like this, and all of a sudden people start speaking in tongues throughout the audience. Why? Because we made room for him. All of a sudden, people would be getting, I have a prophetic word for somebody. What happened? The Lord was there, and we gave him room to just speak. We're in such a hurry. But let me tell you something. Nothing in the Spirit comes quickly. Anyone here been saved five minutes? Everything takes time. Why? Because anything good takes time. Anything good takes time. 
And so people wanting to be filled with the Spirit, people wanting to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, you just have to make room. You have to ask and ask again and ask a third and ask a fourth, a fifth time, and make room for God to speak. Make room for Him. The early church understood that. They made room for the Holy Spirit. They would wait for hours for the Holy Spirit to speak to them. And then they'd finish and they'd go, separate from me, Paul and Silas. Send them there. Why? Because they made room and God spoke. And so we have to learn to make room for God to speak in our life. Make room for God to speak in our church. Give the Holy Spirit his place, which is above our place. The second thing is the early church was bold in the spirit. They weren't afraid to move out in God. And even if they were, they did it anyway. So we have a misunderstanding of this word courage. We think courage is the absence of fear. It's not. It's sometimes moving afraid. But they moved. And we got to understand that we have to be bold. We need to begin to live this Christian life out loud. Bold and clear. You know, the world has no hope, church. We are the hope. And we need to begin to move out and not be afraid of being rejected. Not be afraid of being mistreated. Not being afraid of the consequences. You know how many times people say to me, well, what if I lay hands on somebody for healing and they don't get healed? I remind them that they're not the healer. That's not your job. It's really not our business. My business is to do what he told me. He told me to lay hands on the sick. That's what he told me to do. The rest is on him. Peter tells us clear, by his stripes, we were healed. So by that authority, by that understanding, by that confidence, I lay hands on the sick. Simple. The consequences are God's. We're so afraid of man. Can I tell you what cures you of the fear of man? The fear of God. Fear God. It'll cure you of the fear of man really quick. Care about what he thinks. Don't worry about what man thinks. Man's not going to be around when you're in trouble. Care about what God thinks. The fear of God will cure you of the fear of man. Step out. Begin to live your life out loud. The early church just stepped out. They knew God had their back. They knew God was going to back them up. Even if it didn't happen the way that it didn't matter, they just did it. See, once you take the first piece and you make room for God, he's going to begin to talk to you. You're going to begin to be sensitive to him. You're going to begin to be sensitive to the people around you. And you're going to begin to step out. You know how many times I'm in a restaurant and I just look at the waitress, you're right. And she goes, what? I said, I'm just kind of feeling that you're a little sad today, you're right. They don't know what to do with me. She's just kind of like, um, you know, I, I kind of had a fight with my husband today. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I pray for you? Really? You know what that is? It's living your life out loud. That's living your faith out loud. Can I tell you that I have never had somebody say no when I've asked to pray for them? They might not know what to do. They might kind of just stare there and stare at me. They might not know what to do with it, but they've never said no. They've never said no. But if they had, it would have been all right because it's about me living out loud. It's about you living out loud. We have this misconception that the work of the kingdom is for me and Pastor Rick and Pastor Chris. Let me tell y'all, you're all in this with us. 
all right? We're doing the work of the kingdom together. Every person in this room is an evangelist. Every person in this room is an oracle of God. Every person in this room is meant to be a world changer. Every single one of you is meant to live out loud. The work of the kingdom is not for a handful of us. It's for the church. And the church is not this wall. The church is you. You are the church of Jesus Christ. You are his church. You are the living, breathing church of Jesus Christ. Not this building, not this wall, not this denomination, hello, not this religion. No, you, person, child of God, you are the church of Jesus Christ. And you're meant to live out loud. You're meant to live clear and leave the consequences to God. A couple years ago, maybe five or six, the Lord spoke to me this very clear vision about VBS outside our borders. He even gave me the name. And literally what it is, is we do this incredible vocation Bible school here. But there are plenty of churches that could never do what we do. And so the Lord said to me, identify three churches. Go find them and give them VBS. Give them the staff, give them the equipment, partner with these pastors, train their people, and teach them how to do children's ministry so that it expands their church. And he gave me a whole, like, a whole plan. I was like, God, I'm in. You got it. So I grabbed my partner in ministry, Maria. I'm like, hey, Maria, this is where you shine, all right? Find me. Strategize for me. Find me three churches. This is the area God gave me. Pray. Find the pastors. And let me know what you do. She comes back. She goes, I got them. One, two, three. So we cold called these pastors. And I have to tell you, I, I was surprised at how skeptical they were from us. They were like, what do you want? No, I, I don't want anything. But for free? Because we don't have anything. No, I understand. We have no money. No, I, I don't want any money. But we don't have any... No, I, 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 don't, I, I want to come help you. But why? Because we're the church. <laughs> and because, because it's right. But why? Because we're the body of Christ. Yeah, but why? why? So we met with a lot of that. But one particular case was hilarious. We went to this church, and the senior pastor was fine, but the children's pastor was not buying what we were selling. She, she, didn't, she was not feeling us, man. She had her arms folded. She looked like she had eaten like 20 lemons. Her lip was out, and she was like, and every time I said something, she went, mm-hmm. She was not buying me. She did not believe what I was saying. And so Maria and I just kept talking, and we kept sharing what the vision was and the heart was, and she was like, mm-hmm, every sentence. So I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep doing what you told me. And I'm playing to my God, I know you let us here. This is what you, and then finally I said to her, well, you know what? The days we're going to do VBS are July 15th, 16th, and 17th. She freezes. So you okay? She goes, say the dates again. I said, July 15th, 16th, and 17th. Is that a problem? Do you have something else planned? She's like, so she reaches behind her desk and she pulls out a wall calendar. And those dates are circled. I said, oh, you have something else planned? She goes, no. I said, okay. I said, why are they circled? She said, well, months ago, the Lord told me to circle these dates. He told me to take the dates off of work she works secular, take off from my job and wait for him because he was going to send what I've been praying for, for this church and for our children's ministry. 
And he told me not to be resistant <laughs> and to be open to whatever he sends. So all of us started laughing. How amazing. How amazing. The consequences of God's church. Our job is to step out. Our job is to step out and be bold and not let fear or insecurity or any of this. You know what happens when you begin to step out? You get bolder. You get bolder. You begin to step out a little bit in confidence. All of a sudden, you're like, hey, you know what? I can do this. I can do this. Put my flesh aside and step out and be who God has called me to be out loud in the world. Your confidence grows. And God begins, you begin to get more confident and more assertive. And now what happens is you become the world changer you're supposed to be. Another distinctive. The early church was marked with prayer. And I can't for the life of me understand how the church of America is so prayerless. Can I just be real? We are a prayerless church. We're prayerless. And let me tell you, you cannot be a Christian and not pray. And you cannot be the church and not pray. But we have figured it out. David Cho, who is the biggest pastor in the world, he's a pastor of the church in Korea. He has three million people in his church. Imagine pastoring that. Three million. They have whole prayer mountains. They pray 24 hours a day. He came to America two years ago, and he left with this statement that should shake us all. He said, America has figured out how to build church without God. Think about that. America has figured out how to build church without God. You know why? We know how to do the pretty Christian things. We know how to do the nice things. But the life and the power of the church is not present. And it's not present because we don't pray. The early church prayed all the time. All the time they prayed. They had constant prayer meetings, personally and as a, as a corporate. They prayed regularly, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Take your pick, go through scriptures. The Bible says they met regularly for prayer. Prayer is not an option, church. It is not a suggestion. It is not a nice thing to say. Prayer is your lifeline. If you don't pray, you do not have life. And if the church doesn't pray, the church has no life. How can we build his house if we don't talk to him? Can I tell you something? He didn't even ask you to build his house. He said, I'll build my house and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He said, he'll build it. But he gives us the privilege to walk with him and allows us to put our hands in it. But he doesn't need us. He built this whole world without us. We're confused about our need to God. He needs to love us. He doesn't need your work. He works much better. <laughs> but he allows you to partner with him. But church, if we don't pray, we got nothing. We got nothing. You better, in your personal life, make it your business to pray on a regular basis. And we as a church better make it our business to pray on a regular basis. We got to get in his presence. We got to talk to him. We got to give him time to talk to us. You know, in the early church, we pray together. A lot of things would happen. 
they would get stronger, the miraculous would flow. You know what else would happen? They would strengthen each other. They would speak to each other. You know, the gifts would be in operation. So you have the gifts of the Spirit, and you have the office that is present, the fivefold ministry. So we have this thing called prophecy that everyone asks about. And you have the fivefold ministry, and there's one of, the, one of the offices is the office of the prophet. And that's where your Daniel sits, and your Ezekiel, and your Isaiah sits. And even today, modern-day prophets like Kim Clement and Ubi Sin, they're prophets. They sit in that office. But then there's the gifts of prophecy that operate through the Spirit, where we can prophesy. We know things we shouldn't know. But there's another type of prophecy, and it's when I speak God's word over you. That's prophecy, too. And every one of you can do that. Every one of you can prophesy. I can speak God's word over your life. I can look at Janine and say, Janine, I declare Proverbs 31 over your life, sweetheart, and I believe that you're a woman of God. That's prophecy. I can look at Shai and say, Shai, every step that you step in, God is going to order for you. That's prophecy, church. That's what it looks like. We get to speak God's word over each other. And you know what happens when we do that? The view that's here begins to be here and begins to be here. And we begin to speak upright. When we're in the midst of the presence of the Lord and we're in prayer and we begin to declare. You know how many times someone has walked over with a verse? A verse that has wrecked my life. And we have been wrecked by a verse. A verse that you just go, I've never seen that in my life. You've probably seen it a million times. It just hit you different this time. But it speaks to the depths of your being. But if we're not praying, we're not in his presence, all that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We walk like this for the rest of our life. But when we're in prayer, we're in his presence, we allow God to speak, we allow the body to be the body, all of a sudden now we begin to inch up. And instead of the church that's bent over, we become the church that's upright. We become the church that's standing up strong, being what God has called us to be. You know what else happens in those prayer meetings, church? How many know our world is a mess? A mess. How many don't even want to turn on the news anymore? Want to throw out your TV and everything else and say, put my head in the sand until Jesus comes because it's a mess. And it's not getting better. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. We have deep-seated things in our nation that are happening. Political things, racial things, social issues. They're deep-seated. And the answer to those things are not going to be found in a courtroom. They're not going to be found in any political setting. They're not going to be found on a discussion table. They're going to be found in the prayer room. You might say, what is she talking about? We're the hope, church. The church church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. There is nothing else. And so we, as the body of Christ, get together, and we begin to pray together, and we're on different spectrums. We might disagree on everything, but we agree on one thing. Come on. And so we get together, and we begin to pray, and we seek wisdom that is greater than us. Say, Lord, what is the solution? And he gives us divine wisdom. Because losing each other is an option. We're family. We're stuck together. We got to figure it out. And so we pray together. And we seek God. And he gives us creativity. 
on how to answer the things that are in front of us, how to answer the political climate, how to answer the race climate, how to answer all the things that we're facing because we can't ignore them. That's a mistake. We can't act like they don't affect us. They affect every single one of us. And we can't act like we don't have the answer. He is the answer. He is the answer. But it's in the prayer place that those things happen. Mark Batterson has this great saying. It's called the Batterson saying. And he says, when we pray regularly, irregular things begin to happen on a regular basis. <laughs> when we pray regularly, irregular things begin to happen on a regular basis. So what does that mean? When we're in the presence of the Lord, we're praying on a regular place. We're always in his presence. Crazy things begin to happen. Regularly, God begins to show up. Because why? We've invited him. We've welcomed him. We've created ground for him. We've made him our source. So in the midst of that, things begin to happen that are irregular, but they happen regularly. A couple weeks ago, that happened to me, and I'm going to share, and you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but you probably think most of my stories are crazy, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> I know what happened to me, so I, I'm completely blown away by it. It was a Friday night at VBS. And so the week before VBS, I happened to move. So I moved, and then I did VBS, because that's kind of how my life plays out. So I'm basically living out of this much of my house for a couple weeks. So the Friday at VBS, I'm running out. It's early in the morning. I got to get to church. I'm not used to my keys yet on my lock. I drive out. I close the garage. I lock it. I lock myself out. I'm like, oh, fabulous. All right, you know what? I don't have time for this. I got to go to church. When I come home, I'll just go through the front door. I drive to church. I do all the VBS. We clean up after. It's Friday night. We go out to eat. I get home. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm right I just go through the front door. And I have Anna with me. We go to the front door. I don't have the key for the screen door. We are locked out. So I'm like, oh, when you do it, you do it well, girl. Real good. Okay. <laughs> so now it's 1 o'clock in the morning. We're locked out. I can't get in. I'm looking at the door. I don't have the keys. Anna's like, well, let me try one of the windows. I'm, and she's like, well, wait, you're from New York. Everything's locked, triple locked. It's not, no one's going through the windows. But we're trying. We're trying all the windows. She's like, I'll climb to the second floor. I'm like, you're not climbing to the second floor. And I don't really know what to do when you're locked. I've never been locked out. So I'm like, do you call the cops? I don't really know. Do you call the cops? What do you do? So I'm standing there. I'm like, you know what? I'll break the screen door. It's 1.30 in the morning, folks. I'm tired. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm going to break the screen door. So I go over to the handle, and I put all my force in the handle, and I happen to look down, and I go, oh, this is decorative. It's not attached to the lock. The handle's just decorative. The lock is a deadbolt. So I'm standing there, and I'm looking, and Anna's over here on the side with me, and I, and I just say out loud, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, what do I do? Church, as my witness, the lock turned on its own, right in front of our eyes. It turned by itself in front of our eyes. It was the most incredible moment. We're both standing there and we're watching it turn by itself. And then we look at each other and we're like, you see that? She's like, uh-huh. I said, it's unlocked. I Unlocked, right in front of our eyes. And the minute I opened the door, I heard the Holy Spirit clear. He said, there's not a locked door I can't open. There's not a chain I can't get through. There's not a deadbolt that I can't walk through. When I want to open a door, I open the door, and no man holds me back. 
And we stood there for a couple of seconds. You thought we would have gone right in. We just stood there. <laughs> kind of like in this miracle moment going, wow. <laughs> wow. Talk about an exclamation point at the end of VBS. Church, let me tell you something. When the body of Christ is praying on a regular basis, irregular things begin to happen on a regular basis. That, this, this miracle, that's not my miracle. That's our miracle. That should be our life on a regular basis. God shows up when we make room for him. See, I made a decision years ago that 10% was never going to be enough for me. 20% wasn't going to be enough. 30%, 40%. I made a decision a long time ago. I wanted everything God had. I want it all. I want 100%. I want to be everything he's called me to be at all costs. I wasn't settling for anything less. And there has to come a place in your life too where you say, I'm not living bent over anymore. Not in my personal life and not in the life of my church. I want to be the church that's upright. See, that's the title of this message, the upright church. Because the Lord is calling us to no longer be this. He's called us to be this. And so my challenge to you today is who do you want to be? Do you want to be the upright church? Because as you begin to make room for the Holy Spirit, as you begin to be bold in the things of God, as you begin to pray, what's going to happen is it's going to begin to shift. And the church that was bent over now becomes the glorious church it's supposed to be. The church that Jesus describes that he's coming back for. And so right before us today, you decide, lukewarm, no more. Lukewarm, no more. Half-stepping, no more. All in. All in. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And you know what I want? What my heart's cry is that he would walk into this place and say, there you are. You look exactly the way you're supposed to. You've been doing the work. You're filled with my spirit. You're living out loud. I don't have to figure out, oh, do I know them? He knows. He comes right to this house and says, there is my church. There is my church. Amen? You bow your heads with me, please. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You know, there was this word in the early church that they used a lot, and it was the word tarry. Tarry means to wait. And we've gotten away from this word, but it's a mistake. The things of God we tarry for, we wait for. And so the challenge before us this morning, and the challenge I'm going to give you today, is what are you going to settle for? Are you going to be the bent over believer? Are you going to be the upright believer? 
walking at 100%. Knowing that God will empower you, God will strengthen you, God will give you his spirit. You don't have to do it alone. But you're all in. And today, if you can say in your heart, you know what? I'm done with half step, but I'm done with being bent over. I want to be the church that Jesus describes. I want you to come forward and meet me at the altar. We're going to tarry, and we're going to pray, and we're going to seek God together. For God to fill us with power and fill us with his spirit today. And for God to do a work in us that we couldn't imagine. So I'm going to open the altars right now. That's, that's the, the biggest push I'm going to give this morning. You want to be the upright church? Meet me at the altar. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.